Okay, Matthew 13, verse 23. Matthew 13, 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. Father, we come before you this morning and we recognize that you want to sow seed this morning and that that seed would grow and become a fruit-bearing tree, Father. It is your it is your goal that we through fruit would glorify your name, that the world would see us as a fruitful Christian. Father, you told us that not only does it glorify you, but that we prove we belong to you through the fruit that we bear. And so God, as you scatter the seed of your word over hearts this morning, I pray that they would receive. Lord, let not it fall upon the wayside and be rejected and to be snared by the wicked birds of the evil one. Father, may they not wither in the hot sun or be choked by the cares of this world, but Lord, may the seed grow deep within our heart and change us, cultivate us to be fruit-bearing Christians this morning. For your glory we pray. Amen. So a farmer went out to go scatter and sow his seed one day, and as he sowed the seed, some fell on the road, and the birds of the air swooped down and plucked it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and there the seed sprung up into a plant very quickly because the ground was very shallow, you see. But as soon as the sun waxed very hot, the plant withered and faded away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the weeds of the field, and oh, it too grew up, but in time the thorns and the weeds wrapped around that little plant and choked it, and it suffocated but then, other seed fell upon good, rich, cultivated soil, and that seed sprouted into a harvest, bringing about abundance of fruit, bringing about the desired product that the farmer had in mind. This parable Jesus taught us here in Matthew 13 to illustrate one very simple truth. You see, this parable said simply, the same seed was scattered about, producing various results from various types of soil. The same seed fell on different soils, giving different results. That tells us the problem with this crop was not the seed. The seed was good seed. The problem was the soil. Where the seed fell determined how the seed grew. And so the principle of this parable to you and I is very simple and straightforward. What Jesus wanted to say is simply this. The fate of God's Word, the Bible, His, His spoken revelation, the Gospel, the fate of His Word goes hand in hand with the condition of your heart. Alright? The fate of His Word depends upon the condition of your heart. You see, in this story of the farmer and the seed, the seed represents God's Word, the Gospel, the Bible, anything that God needs to say to you, that's the seed. And God goes about the world sowing this seed to different hearts. 
And the soil represents the heart of man. And as the seed hits different kinds of hearts, you see different kinds of results from the seed. And so these four different results, according to Jesus' parable, is what we look at. But only one, only one was a successful type of soil. And right off the bat, I want you guys to understand that Christianity is the minority. Okay, if you identify with Jesus Christ and you claim that you're a Christian and you follow him and love him and are saved by him, I have news for you. You are the minority. This means you will never be as popular as you could be in the world. You will never be a part of the big movement and uh, with a bunch of people that believe the same thing. No, when you choose Christ, you are among the few seeds that are falling on good soil and producing crops. You are like the fish swimming upstream against all odds. You are going against the grain. Yes, you might pick up a few splinters or two. You are different and you are unique. You are the minority. And this parable also shows us. A lot of people hear God's word. They know the gospel. They know Jesus. A lot of people accept it. But, let me ask you, is acceptance the same as belief? Two completely different things. And so we'll see the majority of people that hear the word are going to say, okay, that's cool, but not all are going to believe in the heart to produce a rich crop. So, let us look at the different types of soil and the faith that they bring upon God's word. We look at verse 18. Jesus is now explaining the parable. He said, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now, when a farmer wanted to plant his crop, he would go out with a bag full of seed and start growing it. And amongst the field, there were pathways where the farmers would typically walk. So the, the ground there was extra hard, extra packed by traffic. People that would cross, rather than going around the field, a huge field, much more practical to straight through it. So there were many paths through a certain field. And as the sower threw the seed, naturally some of it would have fallen on that path. But the problem with the path is that it is a very beaten down, hard surface because of the heavy traffic. And when the seed fell upon it, it couldn't get into the ground. It just sat there in the open and the birds of the air saw it and snatched it immediately. This is the hard heart. The hard heart. That if it hears God's word and maybe says, oh, okay, but you know, not for me, not today. He hears it and hears it and hears it, but he never puts it into the heart. He never walks out. He never becomes a doer. So what happens is he hardens and hardens and hardens his heart till the seed, God's word, can't even penetrate it anymore, and he sits there for the devil to come snatch it away. That's why James 1.22 says that we need to be doers of the word and not just hearers, because if we're just hearers and not adherers, that means a doer, <laughs> then you become hardened in heart. Your heart becomes like a road that just keeps being walked on. God says, hey, 
Come fall. You know that sin. You need to cut that out. Oh, whatever. Walking right over it. It's a little harder. God says, hey, come worship me today. Put that aside. Oh, whatever. It's a little bit harder. A little bit harder. You're not bearing fruit for me. Come love me. Just commune with me. Oh, maybe later. It's a little bit harder. You see, when we stop doing the word and we just become hearers, and we are not adherers to what we hear, you're hardening the heart. And this is the first type. Of course, nothing's going to grow there. The seed got snatched away. The hard heart, the second kind of heart, the emotional heart. Look at verse 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. The emotional heart, like this emo type of person, and we've all seen this person. The altar call given and they're running down the aisle crying and weeping and having this emotional experience with the Lord. And although this sometimes is a good thing, often the case is that it is merely an emotional encounter with God. And nothing actually changes. See, he hears the word and he receives it and he's all happy. And as long as everything's going good, he's good. But as soon as things go bad... He turns away instantly. Why? Because he has no root. You see, the rocky ground has a thin layer, just a thin layer of soil. The seed is easy to penetrate, and because it's so thin, the sun warms it, and it grows so fast. And you've seen people who just are on fire for the Lord, and they're growing so fast, and it's miraculous, and they're just so passionate. And then a couple weeks or months go by, and you wonder, what happened to Billy Bob? Where I don't even see him at church anymore. Oh, I heard he's getting drunk and wasted on weekends again. I, I've heard his mouth. He's just back in the world again. What happened to him? Billy Bob was what I call a fair-weather Christian. A fair-weather Christian. Now, sports fans, you probably know what a fair-weather fan is. That's the one who says, who's winning? That's my team. <laughs> it changes with however things are going. A fair-weather Christian is with Christianity as long as things are good for him. But as soon as someone scoffs at his faith, or maybe a trial comes in his life, and people begin to neglect him because of his stance with Christ, he decides, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. And he kind of withers away because things start to get hot. All because he doesn't have roots. He has no depth in himself. He has no substance to hold him in. Christian, are you rooted in Christ today? Do you guys have roots? If the sun was to wax hot and shine brightly, tribulation and hardship, would you just wither? Or do you have something to hold on to and to dig those, do, uh, those roots deep into and absorb the water of Christ to nourish you? Well, how do I get rooted? Ephesians 3.17 says that we are rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Yes, the love of Christ will root your heart deep into Him. And that's what you need. See, the emotional experience. Oh, God has saved me. It's like incredible. Maybe they had a vision. It's like, woo! 
But they never sink the roots of understanding deep in the love of Christ. And so the minute hardship comes, whoa, whoa, I didn't sign up for this. I don't get it. And they back away. But you see, understanding God's love tells you and me that no matter what comes against me, what happens to me, I know that God is love and He loves me and that He works all things together for my good so that no matter what comes against me or happens to me or any kind of persecution, I can sit there rooted and say, but God loves me and I can endure this. You see, failure to understand the love of God equals failure to withstand in your hardships. Failure to understand the love of God equals failure to withstand hardship. The emotional Christian, so deep in feeling, so shallow in faith. Look what the love of God does. I'm reading from Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his all, how shall we not with him also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. So then, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall sword, shall danger? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. That is what the love of Christ does. It makes you more than a conqueror. Nothing can come against you. Not naked, not danger, not sword, not persecution, not peril. Nothing. Because you're more than a conqueror through Him who loves you. If God loves us and we understand that nothing can take us out of that love. And you are so safe and secure and locked away in His hands. And that, Christian, is your root that puts you deep into the soil so that nothing can make you wither. Be not shallow, but be of an understanding heart and mind. Don't just follow Christ and things are happy and glorious. And oh, the hope of heaven. You can't take the crown without the battle. Jesus didn't get his glory without taking the cross. And Christian Jesus promised persecution on the cross. And if you want heaven and you want the eternal life and the abundance that Christ gives, you have to walk through whatever it takes. But the love of God sustains us through that makes you more than a conqueror. Uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, um, some of you, wow, actually, that was you. Yeah. You're the only one left. I did some of it. You did some of it. Pilgrim's Progress, two years ago, the guys um, went through the book study. It's a, it's a famous old book, an allegory of the Christian faith. And Christian becomes a Christian. Get the allegory? It's his name. Real hard, right? Christian starts his path towards heaven. And right when he starts to leave the town of destruction, along comes two neighbors. 
obstinate and pliable. And they say, hey, where are you going? We want to come with you. And he starts to tell them about heaven, about Christ. And obstinate says, oh, whoa, whoa, no, not for me. And he goes back the other way. Like, you stupid, stupid faith. You keep it for yourself. He's like the seed that fell on the road. The devil snatched the word from him. He went back to the city of destruction. But pliable walked with Christian quite a way. And he was excited about heaven. Everything Christian said made him, oh, I can't wait to get there. This sounds great. But then all of a sudden, while they're walking, they stumble into the slew of despond. And there they swallow in the mire and uh, swallow or wallow. I meant wallow in the mire and probably swallow it too and choke. And they're like, oh my gosh, where are we? And Pliable calls out to Christian, friend, is this the promise you led me to? Is this your hope of heaven? And they finally get out and Pliable says, I'm out of here. And he rises back to the city of destruction. Because he couldn't take the little danger, the little hardship of the Christian life. Fair weather Christian out right away. He had no root in the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we need. Lest you hit the fluid of spawn and you say, I'm out of here. Oh, that our hearts would not live for the emotion of Jesus, but live purely for the devotion of Him. To love Him wholeheartedly. Well, that's the emotional heart. The hard heart. You know, He's hard. But here's the third one. The most successful, yet still a failure, is the worldly heart. And that is in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. The worldly heart, it'll receive the word of God, it'll be saved, it'll start to grow, but somewhere along its growth, it loses interest. Weeds and thorns swarm it and choke out what God's word is doing and the fruit never comes. We don't have to wonder what the thorns and weeds are. Jesus told us. They're the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. <coughs> Christian, weeds will choke you. Weeds from the world. Do you, do you have cares for this world where, where all you want is well hmm, <coughs> all I care about is what the world cares about so I need to make sure I act cool talk right dress well and I'm going to pursue a job above all else and my friends come first and oh I just got a new PlayStation game for Christmas so I'm going to <laughs> I'm not sorry not not just example widespread example um I just got a new game for Christmas and this is going to come before Christ. Wait a minute. These are weeds of the world that will choke the fruit out of your life. Now there's nothing wrong with the things mentioned. You need food. You need clothing. Please wear clothes. You need, <laughs> there needs to be some avenues of joy and happiness in our life. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't put these things before the kingdom of God. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. If you keep the kingdom of God first, these things are additives, not masters. If you put them first, they master your life. I want you to know something about thorns and weeds. These are natural in the soil. You might recall when Adam sinned. What was one of the curses God pronounced upon the ground? 
he said, the words should bring up thorns and weeds. They're very natural in the soil. So this soil here isn't an unnatural soil. It isn't abnormal if you have these cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches rising up in your heart. That is very normal to be there. What is abnormal for the Christian is to let the weeds grow and to choke out the fruit of God in your life. What's abnormal is when the weeds grow up with your fruit. They can't grow simultaneously. Because Jesus said you can't serve two masters. If you serve two, you're going to end up choosing one over the other. And what's going to win out is the weed, because the weed is tenacious, and it always absorbs the nutrients because of its intertwined root system. It steals the nutrients from the plant so that you can't win. You can't let the cares of the world grow alongside you. What you have to do, and I understand the flesh is here, isn't it? It lives within us. Paul said, no good thing dwells within me. You have a proclivity to sin. You have a lust for wickedness. You have a desire for worldliness. And those things are naturally there, but they must be cut off. The ground of your heart must be cultivated, and the great farmer, Jesus, must sow, uh, not sow, um, weed, pull out those weeds of your heart. Do you feel them strangling your heart this morning? It's natural to be there. But you can have it dealt with. Did you guys know our nature is so corrupt? It desires. I always have this picture in my head that you imagine yourself at the Grand Canyon and um, at the very bottom. How many guys have been to the Grand Canyon? I had a long time ago, but. There's something about death-defying experiences that we are just hooked to. And we always want to just get as close to the edge as safely possible and just see, just imagine what it would be like to fall down that thing. And, you know, I don't know if you guys are like me, but occasionally I get these sick, perverted thoughts of, like, what if I just jumped right now? Like, what would happen? <laughs> I don't know that the girl thing was totally a me thing. Maybe a guy thing. I just, I always get these sick thoughts like, what would it feel like? Like, what if I just did it? Of course, I've never been close to doing it, but it's just in my nature. And that's exactly, though, how our corrupt flesh is. It has this tendency to want to jump headlong into the abyss of sin. And it would be like if you're at the Grand Canyon, and you're just sitting there wondering, thinking about it, and all of a sudden, Mitchell, who's with you... All of a sudden he just darts past you go, what? Before you even know what happened, you see Mitchell jump the fence and die head first into the abyss. <laughs> Probably. You went, whoa, what? And it's like <laughs> But God, that's the way our nature is. It wants to just rush headlong into sin. And if you feel that don't feel extremely condemned. Rather, go to the Father and say, these weeds are choking me. Get rid of them now. Please just root them out. I, I, I've been suffocated by, by my flesh and by cares of the world. And guys, we're bombarded with it. It's not only naturally within us, but the world fosters growth of these weeds. Look, every time you're watching TV, especially if you watch football, Man, I, how much would we benefit if you simply change the channel during commercials? 
I mean, football commercials are like cesspool of sin 101. There is some ridiculously naked women always on a commercial, like every other commercial, and they're always appealing to the flesh of these cars are the stylish cars of the world. And this type of housing and this type of job you want, it's all this, this propaganda of cares of the world, this is what you need. And you know what? I'm a victim of it too. I would, I usually take a walk in my neighborhood and um, I'm walking around and you know, some of these homes have been, they buy these cheap lots and they build these fantastic mansions on them and some of them must have bought two lots, I don't know, but some of these homes are just like, you're looking at them like, wow. And it depresses me. Because I always look at them and think, I know I am never going to have a house like that. And just that, that, just that thought depresses me. And I walk along like, man, you know, I'm just never going to have a good house. And, uh, and then the Lord, and this literally happened yesterday. The Lord spoke to my heart while I was thinking that. He said, and who said that you'd be happy in a house like that? And I was like, oh, good point. You know, like, who's been telling you you want that house? And I thought about it, I'm like, not you, Lord. It's definitely the world. He said, exactly. And then he so encouraged me. Because, of course, this passage was in my head as I studied yesterday. He just encouraged me. He said, Brandon, if you bear fruit, you have greater wealth than any of these homeowners have. Because what they have cannot be exchanged at the bank of heaven, but your fruit can. And you can exchange that for riches in the eternal life. And I thought, I'm going to be a much happier person all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm going to be very rich in heaven. Who cares what I have here? This life is going to be so quick. So let not, beloved pilgrims, let not the cares of this world pull you off the path. Don't let them choke the seed out of your heart. Let God's word dominate, not the world's word. So, the third seed, it did well, but it eventually got distracted by the cares of this world. So we come to the fourth and final type of soil. This is the one that true Christians are. Cultivated soil. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. Now what does a hundredfold mean? A hundredfold is... For every one seed you plant, you get a hundred back in return. That is some good produce. Imagine if you put one dollar in the bank today, and within a month, you got a hundred dollars back off of interest. That would be some ridiculous, what is that, like 100% interest or something? That would be ridiculous. But that is, I would put all my money in the bank at that point. But that's what he's talking about here. It's this great produce. You take a little bit of the word of God and you don't only accept it, but you apply it and you use it in every avenue of your life as much as possible. I mean, you hear that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And so rather than saying, that's a great theory. Okay, back to the world and my games and my toys and my friends and just forgetting about it. You, you, you actually apply it and say, okay, next time I'm with my friends, I'm going to try to love one of them as much as I can. Applying the word, so fruit's going to start to grow. Andres might be a big watermelon, but... <laughs> yeah. 
You start to apply it and the, it starts to grow. But be not discouraged. The fruit, the, the seed that fell on the rock grew fast, but it didn't last. The fruit here on the good soil, the cultivated heart, it grew and it stayed. But did it grow overnight? I remember doing science experiments. One of mine was um, grow seeds and see which one grows best under what color of light. Well, you know, of course you're stupid as I mean. You do it, you get it all ready day one, you go to bed, you wake up in the morning excited to see your experiment. <laughs> Still pot the soil. Oh. Go to bed, excited the next day, still pot the soil. Eventually, at some point, when you're not even thinking about it, sometimes it just starts to grow. And all of a sudden, you notice, whoo, there's a little shoot there. Oh, shoot, there's a shoot. <laughs> and you're like, I didn't, and you didn't even see the progress, just all of a sudden, it shows up. And then, slowly, day by day, you see it starts to get bigger and bigger, and it's a fruit tree, which I didn't grow, but it's a fruit tree. Eventually, you'll start to see fruit come on. But this is a process that takes time and patience. And it's the same thing here. When we take the Word, it takes time as we cultivate our hearts and let God do its work. It takes time for the fruit to show. So don't be discouraged if you think, well, I tried it, Brandon, it didn't work. Stop being a microwave Christian. <laughs> That's so bad that grew fast and didn't last. Things aren't instant in the kingdom of God. They take time because God knows how to weed out the weak. It takes time to grow fruit. Patience, sir. So then how, why is the soil better than the rest? Because the soil is cultivated. What does cultivate mean? Cultivate, that actually just simply means to break up the soil. You have a path that's hard. Guess what it needs to have happen? Break it up. You have the rocky ground. What else do you need to do there? Plow it, till it, break it up. You have the weeded soil. What needs to happen there? Pull the weeds out. That's also part of cultivating. And um, the rocky soil might also actually help. Because if you grind it up, probably just going to still be rocky. What would probably help is putting manure on it. Ew! Like it's great, rich soil and you're adding a thicker base to it so the roots can grow. That too is part of cultivation. It's breaking the ground, manuring the ground, and weeding the ground. None of it's fun. I hated weeding as a kid. No one likes to work with manure, let alone smell it. No one wants the backbreaking work of breaking up hard ground. But this is what cultivation means and the seed can't penetrate the heart unless the heart is cultivated. Brandon, that's too hard. Exactly. I'm not asking you to cultivate your heart at all. I'm asking you to let the farmer, the sower, cultivate your heart and then let him plant the seed there. With time and patience, taking God's word every day into the heart is going to grow a crop. Well, that's great, but I don't get this whole fruit business. Sounds kind of fruity to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with the weeds. You know, I understand that because the weeds that are naturally in our heart desire growth and the world is so alluring to us. But consider heaven's perspective for a minute. Jesus says those things we desire are just weeds. What are weeds good for? Burning. Burning. Not for growing, that's for sure. Throwing them away. 
Weeds are worthless. And, and you want to live for those things? God is going to, you're going to get to heaven and what do you have to show? A bunch of worthless life. And if you even make it to heaven, that would be a lucky thing. I'm here to contend, based upon this parable, that God demands fruit to prove that you're a Christian. He demands fruit to prove that you're a Christian. John 15, 8. Don't miss this. In fact, I think this is key. If you want to turn a couple Gospels over to your right, do it. John 15, 8 says, By this my Father is glorified. By what? By this. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Bear much fruit. Two things happen. One, my Father is glorified. Two, you prove that you are my disciple. What is the chief aim of man? What is the purpose of life? Yeah. It's not to go to heaven, believe it or not, though. No, it's fine. Um, it's not to go to heaven. <laughs> the chief purpose of life is to glorify God. That is what God wants. He's not looking just to save everybody and let them live, you know, save Mitchell and he can live like hell. That doesn't glorify God. What God wants is to save people so that they become miniature examples of His glory so that people look at our life and see fruit being produced to the full because we're cultivating God's Word in our hearts. They will see that and glorify God in heaven. Jesus said Himself, Let the world see your good works that they may glorify your Father in heaven. That is the chief aim. If you look throughout the entire Bible, what is the one thing God is desperately jealous for and angry at when it's taken from him. It is his glory. It's why he hates idols because man gives the worship elsewhere. It's why he hates hypocrites because hypocrites are taking away from his glory. It's why he hates the proud because the proud doesn't give glory, they steal glory. God is desperate and hungry for glory and Jesus said, when you bear fruit you glorify him. It's what you're made for. Now, if you just got <coughs> a brand spanking new television, high def, 100 inch, covers your entire wall of your bedroom TV, and you turn it on, and all you got was the snow falling on the screen, and you change the channel, more snow falling, change the channel, more snow falling, change the channel, change the channel, and there is nothing on you conclude the TV's broken and it doesn't work. <laughs> the TV is not serving its purpose. It is a fruitless, if you will, a wasted TV. What good is it to you? And God looks at the fruitless, and I quote, Christian and says, what good are you to my glory? True Christians cultivate God's word in their hearts so that they bear fruit. They bear fruit. Sir, you get a TV television. No, I do not. Genesis 1.11 is an interesting verse. Um, it's where it talks about the vegetation growing, and it says that the fruit trees grew and yielded their fruit. That's not... Well, I don't get that, Brandon. No, it's very deep. Think about it. The fruit trees yielded fruit. Why did God plant fruit trees? 
to get fruit. <laughs> I can't talk. If you plant a fruit tree and it doesn't bear fruit, it's a useless tree. It says God planted fruit trees and they yielded their fruit. That's so deep because it basically says God planted it and it gave him what he wanted. God is sowing this seed and what does he want out of it? He wants fruit. And when he plants that seed in your heart, he is expecting fruit in your life. He's expecting his qualities to come out for you to live for him and to glorify him. It's what he's expecting. That fruit in return. But most importantly, you know you're saved. You know you're going to heaven. You know you belong to God. Not just because you're glorifying with your fruit, but because you are bearing fruit. My grandma has a lemon tree in her backyard. I'll I'll go outside and she's got like a little garden stuff and a bunch of bushes I've never seen before. I don't know what they are. They smell funky. They look funky. They look pretty. They smell pretty. You know, they're all over there. I can ask her, what's this? What's that? A shrub. A rose. I don't know names. Like, I don't know what they are. They're just there. But there's one tree in the corner grows up tall and little yellow fruits hang off of it. Lemons. Apples. Although I might need to ask for what everything else is, I I don't have to ask for what the lemon tree is. Why? It doesn't take a scientist to observe that lemons grow on a lemon tree. I know what it is because of the fruit hanging on it. And Jesus said that you prove you're a disciple of him by your fruit. (laughs) By your fruit. How do you know someone's faking it? Do you see the evidence of God's Spirit working and flowing through the life? Do they love like God loves? Not really. They're probably faking it. They're probably one of these other seeds. Do they have the patience of God? Oh no. They have anger issues. They're probably like these other seeds. Are they faithful people? Can they be counted on? Are they true to their word? you kidding me? He'll lie to make you happy. Probably not bearing fruit. You go down the whole, what are the attributes of God? You should be looking like that. That proves that you're his disciple. James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. How do you know you have faith that works? Because of fruit. If your faith has no fruit, it's a dead faith. It's doing nothing. It's either strangled by the world, withered by hardship, or snatched by the devil. Jesus said the few are bearing fruit and these are the ones. These are the ones who are glorifying me and proving themselves to be mine. And so in conclusion, I ask you guys, are we cultivating God's word in our heart? Are we letting it get to the heart to turn the soil, to add manure, to weed us so that fruit grows? Or is it just one in in one ear, out the other? I don't really look at God's word at all. Cultivating his word. Four easy steps. Number one, read it. Got to go to the word to get the word. Read it. Number two, think about it. Don't let it sit on the hard ground. Took me one minute to read. Six chapters. Think about it. What is God telling me here? Number three, pray about it. Internalize it into the heart and talk to Jesus about it. Then number four, 
Apply it. Do it. That's where the fruit comes. Read it. Think about it. Pray about it. Apply it. And you know, what's sad to me to think about is in the event that some of us bear very little fruit and we're standing before God <coughs> and it's grateful to pass all your mistakes. He'll see the fruit, whatever there is, maybe one little strawberry or something. And he'll see that. But I'm wondering how ashamed we'll be when we see others being so richly rewarded and we think back Golly, you know, at Voyage Church, they really, they had a youth that really encouraged us to try to be in the Word and bear fruit, and I just never did it. And here you have the opportunity always in front of you, and excuses thrown out the window, like, well, what do I read? Well, we've got a reading program. And you just think back, all these opportunities, and you're like, I did nothing with it. <laughs> I just think, you know, the, the seed here, the seed is sown. And there are so many different types of soil in here, and to my observance, because most of you are here regularly, you're not the hard heart, but some of you might that be that emotional heart. And as soon as the feelings are gone, you're gone. You're not really into it anymore. Or some of you might have the worldly heart. And yeah, there's some growth, but it's being stifled and suffocated by the world. And I just, I just pray that as the seed is sown here weekly and always, as long as I'm here, that there will be fruit planted. That we would have hearts that take it and cultivate it and allow God to grow us in ways that we never even dream possible. So let's pray. Lord, this is the word you've given to us this morning. Let the seed grow in our heart. Let us apply, Father. I pray that you cultivate, pull the world out of us. Lord, may our emotions be manured a little bit with some root in your love. God, if there's any hard ground, let it just be turned over. We want to bear fruit. And Lord, 30-fold is a good start, but we want to grow and increase to 60-fold and even 100-fold. Oh Lord, to have that mind to live for the riches of heaven, to glorify you, that is our chief aim. And we are most fulfilled when we are most fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen.